welcome to Hear Us a Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Orlando. And we are on episode. Help me out here a little bit. I don't even know. <laughs> There's a, what, you you're, supposed to, you're supposed to tell me what episode what, okay, it is, but and what, I just tell you it's wrong. But whatever what, number you gave me is going to be wrong. What threw me off was our random episode that we just recorded quickly. Uh, that doesn't Friday. count as an episode, though. All right, so we're going to make this episode 86. 86. All Level right. Up Review number. It's a bunch of Level Up Reviews, but it's our third book. Yeah, it's our third book, and we are on an awesome book, which is Make Your Bed. Is there a third or is it our fourth book? That's our third book. It's Richest Man in Babylon. Okay. 10X with Grant Cardone, and then there's this book. Four right? Hour Work Week. Wow, this is our fourth book. Fourth book. You can't even get wow. the numbers of the books right. No, but think Come about on, it. man. Well, you know, some are more memorable than others, I That's guess. True. I don't know. No diss to Tim Ferriss or anything. <laughs> I just, I'm just throwing that out there. But isn't that crazy? So I was thinking about this today. You know, because I got into a little uh, discussion with my son. And my son's like, where do you read books? Mm. Like, you know, people that are, are loaded don't read books. I'm like, no, yeah, that is farthest from the truth. Now, there is a, there is that misconception because some of the entrepreneurs that are out there and are popular are like, we don't read. I never yeah. read. I don't care about reading. But that's a very, very tiny population. Yeah. And it, it's not. That's the thing, too, is it's not like a direct A causes B. Uh, but it is a correct. That's true because <laughs> there'd be a very, there'd be a huge amount of wealthy people. Well, I don't know about huge amount, but I definitely know some people who are like bookworms, and I look at them and I'm like, yeah, you're just never going to be successful at anything wow. in life. I mean, I know them. It's not like <laughs> you know, but it's true. That, like that's they're just harsh, but they're just kind of lazy, slothful people that just do nothing, and they're you know they're they read books, they read books, right? But part of it is one of those things. Like it's not just information, like. One of the reasons why books is so great is because you get the information that you can then apply. True. Whereas some people apply and they might not have the information. It's when you combine those two things together that you really, I feel like, have that home run. And so that's why I think this is beneficial is we could take the information we're learning from this and then go out and apply it. And you're going to be better off than just applying hard work. But maybe you don't have just maybe one little one little idea, one concept from somebody that could have just taken you to that next level. Well, what I loved about the fact that we're on book four, if you think about it, if you do nothing but just read the Level Up Review books, right? Because we have another book after this. Yep. And we might have one more right before the year ends. Yep. Maybe. You found that's going to be six books. Six books in just a few months. Yeah. So if if you stick with the Level Up Reviews, let's say the next year, hoping that PHP is still around in 2020, which we plan on being around, right? I think. Oh, yeah. Okay. Just checking that we'll have another 12 books to add to your arsenal. So, and the reason I say this is because, you know, I watched somebody on YouTube today and they said, my goal is to have two books read for the year. Mm. Right. And for some people, that's a big deal, right. right? You're really busy, you know, reading a book is hard. And even listening to a book to me, counts just as the same. Yep. Well, Mike, you said that you're okay with that with audiobooks as yeah, a literature I'm, guy. Yeah. I'm totally fine with audiobooks for what, what, what they're for. Um, I still think you need, to read and see print for other things. It's different skills you're working on. Okay. But you can get just as much information listening to a book and work on comprehension and all of that stuff. Uh, so, so yeah, I think listening, I listen to more books than I physically read. Yeah. And I physically read a lot of books, right? And so I know that they're both beneficial. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with listening to books. And I would say even if you don't read the books that we're doing with us, which I highly encourage you to, it's great if you can, but even if you're like, hey, you know what? I don't want to read the books. You guys can do all the heavy lifting and just tell us some of your uh, highlights and you'll still get something. Now, maybe we'll miss the thing that would have made the biggest impact in mm -hmm. your life, mm -hmm. right? So we're sorry about that, but you're still going to be getting kind of 
uh, a process version of the book, some of our thoughts on it and some of the key takeaways. So even if that's all you're doing is just listening to our level up reviews, uh, it'll be beneficial. And you know, I've seen on Instagram, there's quite a few people just from that little challenge we started of like, make your bed, make your bed, make your bed, where it's it seems to be inspiring some people, even in little things, right? And those little things can kind of compound into bigger things, which uh, we'll talk about as we get into the book. Well, let's get to it. Then. Let's do it. All right. So where do you want to start? Do you want to start with his intro right away? Yeah, let's let's do it. <laughs> All right. So it's it's kind of interesting. This book is such an easy read. Yeah, it really so if is. There's a, if there's a book, if you've been like, you looked at 4-Hour Workweek, you're like, that's a lot of reading. That's if you looked at Cardone's book, and you're like, that's a lot of reading. It was a lot of reading. Richest Man in Babylon wasn't a lot of reading, but yeah. it was a different kind of reading because yeah. you're reading a story to pull truths out of it. Yeah, it's kind of dense. This one is right to the point, not too tough. If you just spent five minutes and just read a few pages, five minutes a day, you could pretty much finish this book in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of built that way. I think like each chapter, I mean, when I got the book, I'm not going to be honest when I saw it come in the mail and I got the mail, I'm like, this isn't the book. Right. Cause I like big books. Right. I like, I like books you that do. are big and a lot of words in them. And then when I got the package and I saw this, it didn't look like the picture, you know how like on Amazon, you see the picture of the book and sometimes they show in the, in the well, sometimes they show the person holding it. I didn't even look at that one. I just see this. And so I'm imagining like a full eight, you know, what is it? The, the normal size book, the eight, eight I don't inches know, let's go by, let's five go, inches. Let's I don't go know. over eight and a half by 11. Well, they're not quite that big, know, but you know, like I'm, I'm thinking just like a regular novel size. This is quite a bit smaller. Um, and, and you know, I don't know. I've, I've never done it before except for today. Slightly off topic. But you know, on Amazon, you can do the like, see it in your room. Have you tried that? Oh, yeah. All the time. It's crazy, right? Yeah. I did that with a toy I was thinking about buying my son. I'm like, I don't know like if there's room because we live in that fifth world. Isn't that called augmented reality? It's augmented okay. reality. Yeah. So I scanned the floor and then it kind of figured out like the depth and all of that. And then sure enough, like I could drag the item in a different part of his room and see how big it would be. And it's pretty amazing. So you did it with your book? I should have. That's what I'm saying. You should have like, put it on your I bed. Put, How does this look on my bed? I should have put it on my bookshelf and then I would have seen like, oh, that's a tiny book. But it's nice because if you're trying to read, each chapter literally is like three to four pages and the page is like one or two paragraphs. So it's not like even a full page of a normal book. I would say it's probably like two pages of a normal size book. It's not a lot and of reading. it's not dense vocabulary. No, no, you it's know, very basic. It, it's very, it's very basic to the point and they're engaging stories. Yep. yep. And so I encourage you guys, if there's any of the books that you haven't read, this may be the one to get you started back on track to reading. Yep. So. I agree. All right. So I kind of felt that the preface already highlights a lot of things in the book, but there's some things in here that, you know, I wanted to talk about. Uh, are you are you on the preface or are you in chapter one? Let's look at chapter one. I am on chapter one. Okay. Start off by making your bed. Yep. Okay. I'm on chapter one. All right. Okay. All right. So that's how small the book is. Yep. You think you're in the preface, but you're already in chapter you're, you're one. You're deep. You're already almost that's finished. That's what happens. I'm chapter. already done with this chapter. <laughs> so I want, okay, let's, let, let me first read the first line. And then I have a story to share about this because I had to make my bed in school in mm, college. Nice. I went to a very strict private college mm. and they had dorm checks in the morning. So I like it. I didn't. At all. Zero. It, it, but if you think it probably it probably instilled a certain amount of discipline that you might not even recognize came from that. No, I, I agree with that. I don't agree with that part, but I agree that 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 place definitely made me the disciplined person I needed to be that I needed at the moment. Mm. But before we get into that, let me read what Admiral William H. McRaven says. So on page six, right, he talks about making your bed. Right. And this is 
not the only thing in the book, but to me, it's the easiest truth to apply out of everything in the book, right? Because some of the stuff in there is hard. Mm. Some of the stuff you may agree or disagree, and we'll talk about that. Some of the stuff you'll wholeheartedly agree. But, you know, it's very simple, right? He talks about making my bed correctly, and he's talking about when he's in the barracks, right? And they would inspect and see if his bed was made, not only made, but made to the standard of the military. Mm. And he says, it demonstrated my discipline. It showed my attention to detail. And at the end of the day, it would be a reminder that I had done something well, something to be proud of, no matter how small that task. And, you know, it, it's one of those things you... It's so, it seems so pointless, right? Initially, like, oh, make my bed. It's not going to change anything. It, but when you're having a brutal day or you had a brutal evening or things aren't going right, having control over one small thing can make a world of difference, yep. right? So getting up in the morning and deciding I'm going to make my bed and you don't have to, you know, it doesn't have to be good enough for a quarter to bounce. What does he say? How high did it have to bounce? Uh, high enough for the, the inspector to be able to just catch it, like yeah. to reach his hand out. So that, that's pretty intense. I don't think I don't think my bed could do that. But if it's made, you feel like you have some kind of control over what's happening. I don't know. I, you want to expound on that? I'll share my story here in a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think that's good. I Honestly, if you watch his speech... Um, which, you know, hopefully you guys have had a chance to watch it yet. We've, we linked it in an earlier video. We'll link it again in this video because it's such a great speech. Um, and I think it's kind of funny because the make your bed part was almost this like tongue in cheek with like realistic and powerful applications. Like mm -hmm. it was kind of the silly part of the speech. And then it gets into like some amazing, tragic, incredible stories that we end up reading throughout and all of these life lessons. And then it kind of comes full circle of. So if you want to change the world. Start by making your bed, right? And it's almost this like, it seems so silly. And I think if you're just listening to us talk to, about the book and we're like, all right, uh, here, the first thing to do is make your bed. Like you got to realize like he says this almost like half jokingly, but by the time you get done with the rest of the, the book or the rest of his speech, you're like, no, it all connects. And like, even though that's kind of the humorous moment, it still holds this truth. It holds this element that we can take from that. And, you know, for me, um, it's not making a bed in the morning because my wife, I'm up and out of the house, usually and gone leaving for work before my wife is up. So I'm not the one that physically makes the bed, but there's still other tasks, right? There's something to do, whether it's like go to the gym and work out or, um, you know, read like what my, my goal has been when I, when we did the 10X roll, right? Like do a certain amount of reading in the morning. And what I found in it, I recently watched a YouTube video that I, I thought was really good. It talked about, and it was kind of connected to this idea of a person who goes from extreme effort in something. They're like inspired. They've got energy. They're disciplined. They're going for it. And then all of a sudden, almost out of the blue, almost like a depression or a fog comes over them. And they don't seem to be able to do anything. They don't have that motivation. They don't feel like working hard anymore. And it, they almost feel lost. Like what happened? Where did that go? And the guy was kind of explaining, it seems like it's the small things, but he was explaining that even something like go brush your teeth, like complete a task because completing one task is like pushing over a domino because then it gives you that motivation. Like, okay, I did this one thing. I'm already up. I might as well do this other thing. Okay. I'm, I'm getting stuff done. I'm capable. And you do another thing. Whereas if you just sit there and you don't do anything, it's this, like, it just gets worse. It compounds. It doesn't get better, but even doing a small thing, getting up, making your bed. And then the cool thing is like his speech where it comes full circle. When you come home from like a long, hard day and you feel like, man, that was terrible. 
And then you walk into your room and you see that bed made, it kind of reminds you of, you know what? Hey, at least I'm coming home to something that I, I've accomplished, right? And it's that reminder. So you start off with encouragement. And at the very end you have that of your day, you have that reminder again of like, you know what? I'm capable. I do things, even though it seems small. I just feel like a made bed is more comfortable. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I don't know why. It's just strange. So, you know, I went through this stage. I went to the school and it was really strict. I come from a religious background. And and when I had gone, you know, my 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 first two years, I'm like, make my bed. I had to clean the counters off my dresser. Room had to be vacuumed. Like everything had to be perfect. And it drove me crazy. Mm. And I, I, I remember I just I never I rebelled. I was just like, whatever, I'm not going to follow any of this. I'm paying tuition like I'm not doing this. And so after two years, I rolled out and then I went back. And when I came back, I was a very much, I would say, more driven person and disciplined person. A lot of events happened. 9-11 happened, which made me take education seriously, made me take my own education seriously, and made me take life a lot more seriously. Like, it wasn't this kind of, hey, I'm going to do what I want whenever I want, kind of like how I am right now a little bit, but it was a, it was different back then. And... What ended up happening was at that point in time, making my bed was easy. Mm. Organizing my room was easy. And I think it's because I understood that. And I'm not, you know, casting judgment on anyone that, hey, if you don't make your bed, well, you know, you're not an entrepreneur or you're not successful and so on. There's plenty of people that are. I don't know a lot of people. But then again, we don't go into everyone's bedroom and right. check their beds. But what I will say is it is it was a reflection of where I was. Mm. Right. So I made that extra effort. I got up early. I remember I struggled getting up early in the morning, but when I started my student teaching every day, I would get up at five 30 in the morning, which was super early for me. I'd ever, my whole room would be organized and clean. I'd be at the school. I was the first person at that school, even though I was student teaching, I was the very first individual at that school. They had to open the doors, especially for me. And I was ready to roll. And, you know, I had two, uh, I would say four semesters of a 4.0 GPA, but I needed that GPA to repair all the damage I had done my first two years of school. So I, I say that because sometimes the small things that we're not taking care of are evidence of the chaos that is possibly happening in our lives that we're not recognizing. Now, I'm not trying to make this, we're not motivational people. Like, I don't want to come across like that at all. But th this motivated me in the sense that there's another component here. So I've been through a lot in my life. And, you know, I don't go into details much and I don't plan on going into a lot of details. But sometimes the littlest things helps you take ownership of the chaos that you're in. Mm. Right. Whether you're going through a terrible divorce, whether you've lost a job, whether in reselling, you know, all your prices tanked and you're having a terrible Q4, whether you're experiencing family issues, whatever it is, doing the little things that helps you get a little bit of control back is so powerful. And it, it just starts your day off right. So I want to encourage you, if you're going through a very terrible time and everything's in disarray, your place is in disarray, you know, your, your schedule's in disarray. Take those small steps because I will tell you, it will help you feel empowered and move forward towards rebuilding. Yeah. So that's my soapbox. No, that's good. And, and 
you're right with the idea of like kind of the idea of chaos and order. And, you know, the book, this book doesn't hold back punches. And in fact, there's a whole chapter we're going to talk about with like life isn't fair. So that we're definitely not saying like, hey, you do this thing, make your bed and you're going to get those 10 times goals. or You're going to get like, but what it, what this is saying is this is a small thing you can do and you do have control over. And I think about it with myself and I've heard it explained in a way that really sunk into me um, with, with my organization, like at my desk at work, right? I have a busy day and sometimes, you know, you've got so much going on. By the end of the day, there's stuff everywhere. You got a pile of papers. You got some stuff that's unfinished. And it's really easy to say, I'm tired. I've already been here mm-hmm. for 45 minutes after I could have gone home. I'm just going to go home. And then you start your next day and you come in and you got a pile of undone stuff on your desk, right? And so what I will do is I'll take the 10 minutes it takes to organize all the things that haven't been done, put them in a file, an order of priority, set dates of like, okay, this needs to be done by this date, this date. And then by the time I leave work, my desk is spotless. So when I come and I sit down the next day, I don't have any like anxiety of like, oh my gosh, I've got to get this and I got to... I don't start my day with that anxiety mm-hmm. because I took a little bit of control. Now I could still be saying like, I've got more work to do than I could. It feels feasibly possible to do, but I'm not walking into a stack of papers where, and part of it is that unknown of like, I don't even know what, what half those things are and how long they're going to take. Or where to start. Where to start. It's a terrible place yep. to be. And so taking that extra 10 minutes when it's like, man, I could have been home 10 minutes earlier, but that extra 10 minutes just to organize and say like this pile I'm putting for Monday, I can do it on Monday, put it in my folder, put it on my calendar. This pile needs to be done tomorrow, right? And you, you figure out what everything needs to be done. You plan out your day. It saves me hours of time later and it saves me frustration. I walk into work clean desk. And I think those little things, it could be unpaid bills stacked up, right? And you've got just letters on your table. And it's like, if every time you walk in and you just ignore it, and it's like, I don't, I'll push it back and I'll think about it later. You're not actually in control of anything. You're kind of just pushing it away off to the side and it hangs over your head. And you know, it does like, cause you're constantly thinking about it. But the little things, when you make your bed and that's the one small thing you do, then it tells you like, okay, like I took control of something and that part of my life feels good. Now I'm going to take control over this part of my life. And maybe I can't control everything, but I'll control what I can. And it makes a difference. It changes your uh, your perspective. In fact, he talks about, you know, going overseas and how, how, you know, terrible and crazy that can be. And one of the things he says, he says, nothing can replace the strength and comfort of one's faith, but sometimes the simple act of making your bed can give you the lift you need to start your day and provide you satisfaction at the uh, to end it right. And so, yeah, there's a lot of things you could you need in life to get you going and keep you going. But little things like making your bed, it can make a difference. So might as well do it. Agreed. And so I, I want to end this. Are we ready to end this chapter? Yep. <laughs> so the one thing he says, you know, he was in this terrible parachute accident. I'm terrible. If you read about it, I felt pain as I was reading it. Excruciating oh. pain. I mean, it's bad. Brutal. I mean, your body being torn apart, literally. Yeah. Right. And eventually he was in the hospital and he, he couldn't do much. Right. And that leads to our next chapter, I believe, about... Uh-huh depending on people. But he says when he was finally able to make his bed, it was his way of showing that he had conquered the injury and was moving forward with his life. Right. And it's, I think the same thing applies here, right? You can apply whatever situation you're going through, right. And just replace his injury with that situation. Mm. And I know it sounds really minimal, like making your bed, but again, if someone, if you read his story about how terribly he was injured to the point that he believes he could never be in the SEALs again or even mm. in the military and going back mm. to civilian life, which is a huge deal. Yeah. Huge deal. 
he still understood that, and this is why he shared it, that making his bed, right, was a sign of him moving forward and taking control. And so I just want to encourage you all with that. Yeah, that's great. And that does lead us into this idea of like the help that he received there uh, into our next chapter, which is you can't go it alone. And kind of the uh, subtitle is if you want to change the world, find someone to help you paddle. What were your thoughts on this chapter? Good. Your thoughts were good. They're good. They're good. There's some things I, I, I go back and forth on. I it it's and and maybe I this is through my own experience right everybody has their own experiences when they come to a book and they read it mm-hmm. right so well let's 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 I, I think it's towards the end of this chapter my my points but you know the very first thing that stuck out to me they were talking about how they had to paddle at times and somebody was sick and couldn't make it and so everybody else had to pick up the slack and mm-hmm. that's very true yep right whether it's a work environment whether it's a family environment. Whether you're a team in reselling, somebody gets sick and, and somebody else has to help out and so on. And he says, you know, on page 14, no SEAL can make it through combat alone. And by extension, you need people in your life to help you through the difficult times. And that I 100% agree with. Mm. I, I believe going through difficult times alone, you end up in a very dark place. Yeah, for sure. Because right? you feel like you're the only one going through this. Mm-hmm. No one else has experienced this. There's no way out of it. But if you just get, one or two people that have either experienced it or are willing to listen to you and go through it with you, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. So what do you have to add about the next few pages here? Yeah. So, I mean, um, he kind of went into more like with the parachute accident and like his wife helping him in the hospital and how almost humiliating that was, but at the same time, the, the, the comfort that that provided him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, honestly, we all have, have experiences where things get rough in life, where things are hard. And I cannot say enough like praise and I can't show enough gratitude for my wife and for all that she has done for me. And we really do make a great team. We make a great team in reselling. We make a great team, I feel like, in parenting. We make a great team just in life. And a big part of that is we have very different personalities. And there are times where I am down and out and I'm, you know, weak or sick or frustrated or whatever it is. And she's there to kind of help pick up the slack. And then there's times where, you know, like just for example, when she was pregnant, she had the worst morning sickness I'd ever seen anybody experience. And I know there's people out there who probably had the same. And I had to come alongside and help her get through that. And, you know, it was one of those things where it never felt hard for me to take some of the work from her and to help her. And because we were working together it, it got us through really, really tough times. And I know that some of our listeners out there don't have that significant other, that spouse that is that person for them, but there's somebody, right? Whether it's maybe a kid or maybe it's a friend or maybe it's a mentor. Um, and if there's not that person in your life that you can think of this, that you can say like, hey, this person really helps a lot when things get hard, then when things are not hard, do everything you can to find that person. Because time will come when things mm-hmm. get difficult and things get hard and you need someone to come alongside you and pick up some of the slack and you know what? They're going to need it too. They're going to need someone to help them when they need the help. And so being that person is huge. And I, I also want to say um, we were asked kind of a similar question to this when we were on the eBay open panel about like support system. And I totally felt awful when I got off the stage. I was like, you know what? I didn't even think my in-laws and right now we're recording in our studio, which is my in-laws office, right? They're, they're allowing us to use one of their office rooms, um, I'm living on their property. Like they've done so much to help my family, to help Pure Hustle podcast. 
And it's that team. Like sometimes you don't see there's so many people behind the scenes and you guys know what it's like. You guys have those people behind the scenes for you. And maybe you're that behind the scenes person for somebody, but you, it, it does. It takes a team. And sometimes we can get that like that mentality that like I can do this on my own 100 percent. And really, I think that's a dangerous place to be. And, and I think it's good not to rely on other people and expect them to do your work for you. That's bad. But it's also bad to think like I'm 100 percent capable without any help. I think it's good to have a little bit of humility and say there will probably come a time when I need some help. No, I agree. And there's two aspects of this on page 19. He says he's talking about how up until that injury, right? He felt he was invincible and we've all been there. I mean, I think in the twenties, you really feel like you're invincible. And then the forties, you think you're invincible, but your body's clearly letting you know you're not invincible. I mean, I can speak to that. I can't speak to that yet. But he says all my life, I had the feeling I was invincible. I believe that my innate, Athletic abilities could get me out of the most perilous situations. And up to this point, I had been right. And we get to those places. But then you get into those moments where you don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're just messed up. And, and, and it happens in reselling. You know, even the littlest things can mess up your day. Right. And I'm, I'll share, you know, I had some rough experiences this last week in reselling. And I'll share this in the future podcast. But sometimes it takes humility right? To reach out. It takes saying, Hey, I'm wrong. I messed up. Can you help me out? And if you live in an Island and you don't want to share that, that you're going to be in a very difficult place, right? So if you're running your business and things aren't going well, it's a lot better for you. Obviously you got to, you know, be aware of what you can share and what you can't share, but you got to have people in your circle that you can go to and say, and people that are better than you. Okay, I'm not saying approach people that run their businesses, you know, at a level that's less than yours. I'm talking about people that know what they're talking about. And you approach them and say, listen, I thought I knew what I was doing. This is what happened. Could you help me out? Give me some advice. That takes humility. That's really hard to do. And I would say in our own reselling community, it's hard to do, right? Because we're all about the Instagram story. We're all about the wins. But when we share the losses, right, everybody resonates. But you got to understand how many of those innovators that resonates are willing to to help you too, right? You got to you got to take a look at both. The other part is you got to be in place like you don't care about what other people think. I you know if there's anything, <laughs> I wish I had t- told twenty year old Orlando, twenty five year old Orlando, thirty year old Orlando, thirty five year old Orlando, thirty seven year old Orlando would have been, do not care what people think, do not care what people think over and over and over again. Because that will, to me, and, and Mike might think differently, but that is one of the biggest obstacles to getting help. And it's one of the biggest obstacles to growing. Because you're so worried that this person is going to think you're weak or you're so worried that this person is judging you. Listen, if you want to get to the next level in anything, you got to stop caring. That's just my personal opinion. you got to stop caring. Or you're going to be in this island by yourself and you're not going to be moving up. But there's a little bit more to this. So <laughs> you have anything to add to all that? Yeah, no, I think that's good. I think the only thing I would I would add, because I, I agree with you uh, for the most part with the don't care what other people think. Uh, I, I worry a little bit with talking in absolutes because I think there's a healthy concern um, and then there's the unhealthy. And most people, when they're caring what other people think, it's unhealthy, right? And so I think it's pretty fair to say usually like, if you're worried about other people's opinion of yourself because it's for your own pride and your own arrogance and and 
fear of of what other people, you know, might perceive you to be like, yeah, that's that's absolutely not. But then at the same time, that could be a motivator and a good way to say like, you know what? I absolutely 100% care what my wife thinks about me and my son thinks about me and my close friends. Like I want them to look at me as a man that they're proud of and that they are um, encouraged by. And so I think there's 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 a healthy way to have that concern. Uh, but most of the time, even with me, when I have fear of what other people think, 95% of the time, it's the unhealthy type. Yeah, I think you're you're 100% right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously, <laughs> if you're going all kinds of crazy and addicted to drugs and destroying your life, well, there should be certain people that you care about what they think about. Yeah. And, and as long as, again, like you said, it's the right way, like it's, it's, there's, there's a healthy way and an unhealthy way. And I think, I think our listeners get that. So, but I, I think he addressed, I mean, he does address it on page 20. He's talking about his, his wife and he's injured. Right. And this is the kind of people you need in your life. At least I need in my life. I'm not going to speak for all of you, but I know I need this in my life. Said she refused to let me feel sorry for myself. It was the kind of tough love that I needed. And as the days went by, I got better. And I 100% agree with that. If there are people that are in your life that will just let you sit and wallow and see you going down a terrible path and they're not real with you, that's where I think you need to be concerned. Yeah. Right? You need people to be real with you. I mean, you, I, I would say at least one, it helps to have three, you know, but it's hard. And having real people in your life is hard. Yeah. Mike is one of the few real people in my life. Thank you, man. Right. You're welcome. But it's true. I mean, we couldn't do this podcast week after week and see see your mug if you're <laughs> real. But it's true. I mean, there are certain people that are fair weather people, right? That hey, they're completely cool with you as long as your life is good, mm. as long as everything's going on. But the moment something drops, all these people scatter. And I can speak from experience. I mean, I, I was in a community that had thousands of people that I interacted and I made an impact, and very few. Stuck through everything, right? Mm. And it's just, it is what it is. That That's life. You know, it's one of those things of unfair, yep. right? People just roll out of your life and you're like, hey, what happened? Where are you? But you need those people in your life, especially in reselling. You need people that are real with you. You know, you may be thinking your numbers are good. You post on Insta, you're doing all this and you're, you're putting up a front and you can get caught up. It's kind of like you said, a few level up reviews, how... When, when you, and by the way, goals, I, I didn't do a good job of writing my goals every day. Yeah. Now I did make my bed every day, Hey, but I did write my goals. Things that matter. It did, but not every day. And I got to get on that. But what I was going to say is, yeah, I talked about how when people share their goals, they feel like they already accomplished yep. them. Yep. That's very real. Mm-hmm. Right. You could say, Hey, I'm going to make a hundred K this Q4. Right. You're like, yeah. Mm-hmm. But if somebody comes to you and goes, well, Hey, you're going to make a hundred K, but you're only making 10% net. Like you're going to be hurting. Yeah. I mean, it depends on, you know, where you are as far as finances, but you need individuals with that tough love that are willing to say, listen, be real about what you're talking about. Don't try to put up a front. Yep. So I want to share that a little bit. And I got some closing thoughts on this chapter. But. Yeah, good. Um, so I've got uh, just a couple quotes I want to say, and then kind of a thought I have, which kind of connects back to, even just why we're doing these level up reviews. So, um, and maybe I'm stealing one of your quotes. So if so, I apologize. But uh, so it says this, during my time in the SEAL teams, I had numerous setbacks. And in each case, someone came forward to help me. Someone who had faith in my ability, someone who saw potential in me where others might not, someone who risked their own reputation to advance my career. 
And that kind of goes back to finding the right people in your life. And we see that he goes further and he says, make as many friends as possible and never forget that your success depends on others. And I, I like what you mentioned with it. It's, it's hard sometimes to find those people. It really is. And I think when things are going good for you, um, that's when you should be putting in the time and energy to be making those really deep, meaningful connections and relationships with people. Because when your life starts to crumble down, you're not going to have the energy or resources to do that. Right. And the, those friendships that you've built that are real will be the ones that are there. But if you haven't invested in anybody, it's going to be hard for people to invest in you. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I remember um, a lot of like the the kind of new entrepreneurs, self-help guru people, and even some other you know people that I admire and listen to have talked a lot about that has kind of been on my heart is this idea of mentoring. And like, I can't remember who it was, but one guy had this idea that like, you should, you should have two or three guys who are 10 to 20 years younger than you, two or three guys who are the same age as you, two or three guys that are uh, 20 years older than you, right? And same thing with ladies. It's just, you know, he was talking about having, you know, a guy, a young man having a a man in his life teaching him and guiding him. And the point he was making was like, you've got to have these mentors, somebody who who can help you and somebody that you're helping. So it's like this chain, everybody's helping somebody. And I, I remember somebody like was talking about that and he said, you know, I feel like I don't have any mentors because that's something I've, I struggled with for a long time. I didn't feel like there were any guys in my life that I looked up to and I said, like, I want my life to look like him. I want I want to be like that guy. And that's hard. It's hard if you don't have anybody to look up to because then you're just trying to figure it out on your own. And but I, this guy that was explaining a similar concern I had was going through his doctoral thesis and he was studying. I can't I don't even remember who the author was, but he was studying all of his works, all of his essays, everything he wrote. And he was talking to his wife about like how he just feels bad that he doesn't have a mentor. And his wife kind of looked at him and was like, yeah, but but isn't it kind of like the guy you're studying is your mentor because you're, you're, you're reading about his life and he's teaching you and you're learning through him. And so even though you don't get a chance to talk to him, it's like you know him as well as, as anybody can. And he the things he write, write, is writing about is speaking into your life about those things that matter. And so if you're having a hard time finding those people find find the people maybe that you look up to and and read their biographies their autobiographies and they can still mentor you by their example and and those might be the tough love you need to kind of see those people and say like hey they went through something like me and they didn't give up and that's the motivation that keeps you going no agreed and, and but yeah the mentor thing i i can't speak on that that is huge i mean there there's two or three people in my life right now that i hardly ever talk to but when I'm going through tough times, I can call them on on a at any moment. It could be one in the morning, two in the morning. They will pick up that phone and we'll work through stuff, right? So it's super important. Now, I will say on difficult times. Now, when things are good, and and I know this is not what he meant, but this could be misconstrued, mm. right? At the end of that chapter, he says, and you mentioned this: you cannot paddle the boat alone. Finding someone to share your life with, make as many friends as possible, and never forget that your success depends on others. And obviously, we know that your success ultimately doesn't depend on others. Right. I don't think he says, Hey, you know, if you're not successful, it's everybody else's fault. Right. I don't think that's what he's saying, but I just wanted to clear that up. But the other part is, you know, yes, make as many friends as possible. I agree with as far as networking, you never know. Right. So, you know, but you also got to be careful about who you let in your life too. Mm. Right. Because you can get into this place and, and the reselling community, I would say of all places is a very, is a place where, you get can get connected with people that are always in this very negative mood, mm. right? The sky is falling, everything's terrible, right? We talked we talked about Glitchgate, right? Apocalypse, or 
and he talks about this in the second half, the can-do attitude and so on. You can let people in that are positive, that are willing to work through solutions, that say, yes, terrible what's going on, but hey, how can we make this better? Right? So I agree. Make as many friends as possible. I mean, I, you know, those of you that have met me in person, I'm a pretty friendly guy, right? I, at least I hope I am. <laughs> but as far as the inner circle, mm -hmm. And it's not an inner circle of exclusivity. It's an inner circle of camaraderie. Right. Right. People I have things in common with, people that I trust, people that I, I can share things with, and I know it's not going to go past them. Right. And so that's where I think there's kind of these two layers to who you develop friends with. And I'm just speaking from knowledge and experience. I'm not speaking from a place of authority. I can just tell you in my own life, there have been times that I had developed friendships with people and I had shared too much that in the end hurt me. And then there are people that have stuck with me the whole time. And I know I can share whatever and I can go through life with them, whether it be in business, whether it be in my private life, and it just made things better. So just some things to think about. Yeah, no, that's great. And just one last thought on that as we're finishing up this chapter is I love the, the phrase and I'm sure I've said it on the podcast before, but you're the average of the five people that you spend the most oh, yeah, time yeah, with, right? Yeah. Is that a quote of the week? You haven't done a quote of the week in a while. Quote of the week. <laughs> Bringing it back. Bringing it back. Um, I feel like it's in there. It's just, we don't always call it the quote of the week. Yeah, we, I, just, we, yeah. I think we need to though. Yeah. We need to stop I, I the need, podcast. I need to call it the quote of the week. We, but just in my normal life, I feel like I'm always just giving quotes like so-and-so said, or that's just, that's how I speak. So I just assume you just, there's a quote wait, of the week. When you're with your wife, do you just go, Yeah, I got this quote for you. Well, I don't say like, I just, I <laughs> here's my quote of the week, Heather. You know, I, but that's the thing is I don't, I don't identify it. I just would say things like, you know, that's like when Shakespeare said, and I just like, Okay. Yeah. So really, that's yeah. But anyways, um, Seneca once said, "Yeah, man. Yeah, I love, I love Seneca." All right. Okay. So, but anyways, it, it, yeah, that being the average of the five people you spend the most time with, and that kind of goes along with what Orlando was saying is, is it's easy to connect with and and to develop really strong friendships with people who are bringing you down, and and the reality is just the nature. And I don't, I, I don't know if there's very many, if any, examples of people really pulling people up more than people getting pulled down, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're with somebody and they're, they're just negative, they're in a bad path in life and you associate with them, there's a good chance that you're going to pick up more of their habits than they're going to pick up of your habits. Right. And so it's important to surround yourself with like-minded people and people who are at the same place or better than you, if you want to be moving up, moving up, moving up. So yeah, that's good. We wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. Uh, all right, chapter three, which was only the size of your heart matters. Uh, if you want to change the world, measure a person by the size of their heart. What were your thoughts on this chapter? I don't know. I it, it wasn't bad. I just you know, it wasn't I wasn't as powerful for you. It wasn't. I mean, it's it's one of those things where obviously you know, and he's he's not talking about heart necessarily. Like he's not talking about compassion, right? He's talking about drive. Right. Am, I, am I wrong in that? No, no, yeah, yeah. So he's not talking about here. Heart is not compassion um, or or emotion, but rather like passion or drive or focus or intensity or or discipline. Right? Those would be better uh, examples of kind of how that. Yeah. So what stuck out to me, and this is a book we. I'm just gonna call it out. We're gonna definitely do this book in the future. Grit. Mm. Right. It's a powerful book by Angela Duckworth. Definitely a must read. You, you should just read it now. Don't wait for the level of review and then read it along with us. 
But he mentions on page 27, where he's talking about, you know, SEAL training was always about proving something, proving that size didn't matter, proving that the color of your skin wasn't important. And he's referring back to he had sized up this individual in a hallway and thought, this poor guy, he's never going to be a SEAL. He's terrible. <laughs> you know, he, he, he cast all this judgment. Again, you always got to be careful about judging people. Mm. Always. And then he finds out that this guy was actually a Vietnam vet SEAL guy who had run major missions and had recovered through major, you know, devastating situations. Yeah. And then he was like, whoa. Yeah, it was hardcore. Yeah, it was pretty hardcore, right? And And so he says... You know, proving that money didn't make you better, proving that determination and grit were always more important than talent. I was fortunate to learn that lesson a year before training began. Mm. And that stuck out to me because in our reselling community, right, there's some people that are talented, right, in the sense that they can start on Amazon, they can start on eBay, and they, within a year, they're like, hey, I'm making 100 k Right. I'm making hundred K net. I'm doing this, but I would say, I'm just going to throw anecdotal numbers out there. Arbitrary numbers. Sorry. 99%. It's because of passion and perseverance mm. that they make it right. Yeah. The fact that, you know, a lot of individuals didn't finish high school. A lot of individuals didn't go to college, but when it came to reselling, they had that passion, they had that perseverance and they took their businesses next level and they're far more successful than plenty of people with four-year degrees or masters and so on in business. Right. Right. And so it stuck out again to me that we can always say, well, I'm never going to be this good. You know, I wasn't born with these attributes or these talents, but passion and perseverance. And actually in that book that we're going to read later on in our Level Up review, found that I forget it was like counts for two more than anything else can as far as being successful. Right. And so it's that passion, passion is that perseverance. And the same thing applied to him because he relates in this chapter. I think it's in this chapter, how he got pushed back to the lesser group or am I, am I jumping ahead? Uh, I think you're jumping ahead. Okay. But anyways, later on, he isn't as successful. He gets pushed back, but he pushes back even harder with perseverance and he ends up being the best on his SEAL team, right? So it's the same scenario here is that you may feel that you're, you don't have all these abilities or talents that others have, but hey, if you apply yourself and you go, you know, zero to a hundred, you definitely can make it there. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. And I like that in this chapter, he talks about specifically, he wants to become a SEAL. Uh, and, and a lot of it's neat because he's talking about areas in, in San Diego that we're familiar with. So when he's talking about being in Coronado and stuff. Oh, yeah, like, yeah I can we, picture yeah, everything. Yeah, you can see it. It's like so, Top Gun. Yeah. So he's, he's walking in the hallways and he's the, the, the SEAL, you know, instructor, the SEAL guy that's outside is, you know, this guy that's six foot three and 230 pounds built like an ox, you know, huge. And then he walks in and the receptionist guy is huge. And then he goes into the office of the, the recruiter guy and that guy looks like a bodybuilder. And he's just like, yeah, th these are SEALs, right? And the guy that he judges was actually one of the most inspiring seals of all times. And, and he didn't have that look. Right. And, and that kind of was the whole point is you can't judge, but it's the heart that matters. And it's true. Like talent will take you really far, but only as far as the grit you have will take you. Right. Because I know so many talented people that. Yeah. They just, just stay have. talented. And, and I remember, I mean, because I just think about it, like there's some people who are naturally talented, like, you know, like are a naturally talented runner, but they don't eat 
and diet right and they don't train really hard. And then I know people who like eat and train really hard, but they don't have the natural talent and they both do just about as well. And it's like when you have the combination of the two that you have an Olympian, right? It's like those, the, the, the elite of the elite is when you combine both talent and grit. But if you don't have natural talent, oftentimes grit is, is, is better. It's going to get you further than just talent will because talent alone isn't enough. And, and I hate, I don't want to say I hate, I'm not a fan. And that's why I don't often use like sports analogies, right? Um, because I feel like they're overused a lot of times, but but we you know, never use them on the podcast. Yeah, so so once in a while, if we drop it, it's all good. So I was, I played high school football and, and I, I another, at, thing, uh, another thing I didn't know no, about my, at risk of sounding like, was it, uh, was it, what was the show the married with children where the Bundy guy was always talking about when he played the one game that he played football. Yeah, like, Al Bundy. Just, yeah, yeah. Al Bundy's like glory days. And there's just like the one you game. You know how many people all... like that exist yep. though? Yep. And so it's the same story too. And you're like, you already told that yep. story. I heard it. And eventually yeah. you just go, Oh, there he goes again. Yep. So, um, I, I don't ever want to be that person, but like, that was my kind of like glory days was like high school football. Like I was somebody, right? Like I did what really well on the team, but I remember, um, when I was like a sophomore, there was a, the senior group did really well. Um, and there was like the offensive lineman, because I was a lineman, the offensive lineman and the, the the linebackers, they were just monstrous guys. And there was this this defensive lineman that they had uh, that when I was a sophomore in the senior class. And this guy was half the size. But like they just, they, I mean, they called him the lion, right? Because he was just vicious and he would be in all game long. And I remember I was like walking by, I was like changing in the locker room or something. And there wasn't very many people around. I don't know the coaches heard me say this, but it stuck with me probably because I was like, I've never heard adults talk about kids this way. Like, you know, but I just remember them like kind of like cussing out some of the other linemen on the team. And they're just like, you know what? If, if even one of them had the, the same heart that David's has, if even, if even just one of them did, we'd be going to state. Right. And just to think that like they saw it, they saw that these monstrous guys were just being lazy because they had the talent. They didn't have to work that hard. And they're just like, if, if they tried even a fraction as hard as this, this, this kid who's half their size, we'd be, we'd be state champions. Right. And how often is that the case? Like if you have any talent at all, man, get the grit behind it. But even if you don't, you can still be the star on the team. You still can be the, the hardest working person in your niche. Even if you don't have, I don't know, some kind of a leg up on them. And, and, and oftentimes when we think of talent with reselling, it might be hard to figure out like what that is because it's easy when you're talking about sports, right? It's, you know, size and athletic mm -hmm, ability. Mm -hmm. But what is it when it comes to, uh, to reselling? And it could just be like where you started. Did you start with $10,000 seed money that like an uncle left you? And so you just had a lot of money to play with versus the person who just doesn't have it. And maybe the person who started off with a lot of money gets lazy because they're not, they don't have to be as cautious. They don't have to work as hard and they're not, they don't build their business the way you do from the ground up. So it still connects. Like you still can show that you have heart and maybe it's not like your physical size that matters, but maybe, you know, there's people around you who they have the warehouse, they have all the tools and you don't have it and you still can outwork them. Well, part of it too is, you know, in this business, it's, it's tough. It's not easy. And especially when things get tough, it, it's not like a, a job where you can just, you know, I resign and I'm going to go find a similar job. Right. It's just you and it's your business or your employees or whoever you have. And so, you know, that grit plays a part because when things are brutal, right, when things are tough, you keep enduring and you keep moving. And eventually you see yourself on the other side. Right. And that's again, <laughs> that's, I'm moving on to the next chapter. But that's part of it. And, you know, and there is talent in this game. Part of the talent to me is 
you know, just understanding the very simple things of buying low and selling high and understanding the market and understanding customer behavior. Like, I do think there is talent in that. I think there are some people that can read things better than others. I think others are, you know, it's kind of like back in the day in the early 2000s before we had the iPhone. There are pe- there are people that were resellers that were great at what they did, but that's because they were able to understand human buying behavior, right? They understood what people wanted. They understood, you know, how to acquire certain things. They understood how to, there's some people that are just talented at negotiating and there's others that have to work at it, right? It, it's really hard. And so I think they're, they're there, but in this era that we live in with all the knowledge that's out there, everything that gets dropped you definitely can apply the grit to get yourself to a place. And you may not never achieve that talent, but you get pretty close and you could do better than those that are talented and never refine their craft. So that's where I land. And so again, like he ends it, it's not the size of your flippers that count. And he's talking about this one that he had to do. (laughs) And you're like, what are you talking about? But if you're reading the book, you know what I'm talking about. Hey guys, it's not the size of your flippers. (laughs) Just know that. (laughs) There you go. It's just the size of your heart. And I, I, you know, you can replace that with grit. Yep. Just the size of your grit. So yep. that's good stuff. All right. Well, Life's not fair. Huh. Yeah. Chapter four, life's not fair. Drive on. If you want to change the world, get over being a sugar cookie and keep moving forward. All right. So let's, let me, you want to explain what a sugar cookie is? Yeah. So um, I, I don't know if anybody, at some point, maybe we do like David Goggins book where he uh, talks about like being a seal is like an ultra marathon or crazy guy. Um, but his how he got started, he was like an overweight security guard or pest control guy. And he watched this buds class, whatever, on like Discovery Channel. And it like he was like walking in his house and he sees the people training to be a SEAL and it changed his life. And I remember I watched that same program and it was like buds class of whatever it was. And and so what he's talking about here about the sugar cookie, I remember watching it on camera, people doing this kind of stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. So like that's why I bring that up. And and the whole idea is. I mean, the Navy SEAL training, the, the the training program, the whole point of it is you are physically being pushed to, to just extremes. It's just terrible. But I mean, I've watched that, videos. I've read about it. It's 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 brutal. A lot of respect. And I have friends that were SEALs. They're SEALs, yeah. And it's, yeah. It's, it's intense. But the main thing they're getting at is mental, right? They want to see, are you going to crack under pressure? Are you willing to keep going? And, and a lot of times the best SEALs go through multiple times because they get physically injured. But they're allowed to try, I think, up to three times because really what they're testing is, can you handle the mental pressure? And if you're willing to come back and the sugar cookie idea is if you do anything wrong and, and it could be anything, it might not even be, you might not even do anything wrong. They might just be testing you to see if you're going to say life's not fair. But if, if you mess up with your inspection, when they bounce the, the the quarter on the bed, if it doesn't meet inspection or if your uniform isn't perfect or, or you are too slow or whatever it is, they make you go get in the surf in full uniform. So you're in the freezing water salt water in your face and then they make you go roll around in the sand until you're covered with sand first thing in the morning and you spend the rest of your day doing all the training covered in sand and you look like a sugar cookie and i don't know if you've ever had like sand all over it's just the most uncomfortable that's the worst i I don't even like going to the beach with my kids and then we usually like going to Chili's or something after and we just kind of clean up as best as we can and you show up and the meal, the, the food just doesn't taste the yeah, same. Yeah, if it's wet sand all over you, just, <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, that's the wrong kind of grit. You don't want that kind of grit. But maybe you do. Maybe it's building <laughs> toughness. Yeah. So, but hey, I, I got to tell you this, this chapter, it's, and we talked about this, Grant Cardone talks about this. I think all the books we read talked about some level of preparing, not only preparing for when things aren't, aren't going away, but 
in the sense that things are not going to go your way. A hundred percent. They're not going to go your way. And it's, it's really tough. And, and sometimes it's your fault, but sometimes it's really not like it's worse you, when it's your fault. Yeah. It's worse when it's your fault. But sometimes like you can point the finger and say like, really, this terrible thing happened and I did absolutely nothing to deserve it. And it's not fair. Right. But does that feeling change anything? No, I mean, it, you know, I think you can have a moment and you could say, this sucks. This is terrible. This is not what I signed up for. Right. But ultimately, you got you have to move from that place. I, I do think there is a time and a place for you to acknowledge how bad life sucks. Yep. I, think, I really do. I, I think it's part of, you know, we talk about the grieving process. Mm. Right. And, you know, part of it is that. I mean, I I, I think about, you know, my own life. Um, my father had a very young. Actually, he was diagnosed right before I was born uh, with Parkinson's. And man, that was brutal. And I didn't know how brutal it was. You know, when you're a kid, you don't really net recognize things, mm -hmm. right? Like, I couldn't speak to my father very much. I couldn't understand them. But it didn't really bother me. And it wasn't until I was a teenager where it really bothered me, right? In the sense that I wanted, you know, one of my last memories of my dad is <laughs> I thought I was going to be a 49er quarterback because I love Joe Montana. I mentioned Joe Montana. <laughs> if you're listening, Joe, reach out to me. Uh, and, you know, throwing a football with him. And I remember he did everything he could. Right. He knew life wasn't fair. Life must have sucked. Right. He never asked to be diagnosed with Parkinson's. And I remember my dad, man, that guy, I remember, I don't remember how many times he collapsed. We could be at church, he would collapse. We could be at a school because, you know, Parkinson's debilitates your ability to walk. And he also had two bad knees from playing soccer, you know, in South America. So he had, a, you know, that was on him, but the Parkinson's was not on him. He never asked for it. But I, but I share all this because I had a very big sense, and I think this came from, from my mom, and I think it came from just people around me, that I never looked at it as a crutch, mm. right? It never was that, well, screw life. My dad's sick. My life is messed up, like blah, 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 right? And even to my 20s and my 30s, you know. But it, it's one of those things that, uh, you, I, what I remember about my father is that he never, ever once gave up. Like he was the, and maybe this is why I'm so stubborn. Mm. <laughs> I think, I think he probably was just as stubborn. I just never got to see it because he was sick. And so, you know, he, he couldn't be as stubborn of a guy as he wanted. Right. <laughs> but uh, anyways, I share this because it never was an excuse, right? No matter what he still was out. I remember taking out the trash with this guy. And it, no matter how hard it was, he would do it. And I would help him. And he, and he would get mad at me when I helped him. Right again, maybe he needed to read the previous chapter. Right? But I share all this because, and that's a, that's a pretty severe case. But I think everyone goes through a period where they're like, I never asked for this. Right? Whether it's a disease, whether it's a condition, whether it's a divorce, whether it's a loss of job, whether it's you sent in a thousand items to Amazon and they suspended you, right? Not fair, but that's, that's just how it is. And so, and we shared this with the Will Smith quote and everything in his video, but again, it may not be your fault, but you gotta, he says here, move forward. Yeah. And I love, honestly, like I'm not even going to share any personal stories because 
one, the story that's in this book is just so incredible. Oh, it's it's just it's it's so tragic, but at the same time inspiring because of what it is. And I know every single one of our listeners, I don't think there's probably even one of our listeners who would say like, no, life's been 100% easy for me, right? Like we all can look at the thing in our life or somebody that we know who's just overcome extreme obstacles or has faced extreme obstacles and maybe handled them well or not. And so we see here like the the sugar cookie idea, uh, our, our admiral friend, writer of the book was forced to do this. He goes into the ocean, he, he rolls around, mm-hmm. he gets all the sand over him and he's going to be inspected by the, by the seal instructor. And the seal instructor says, do you know why this is happening to you? What you did to deserve this? And he says, no, I, I, I don't know. And he says, because life's not fair and the sooner you learn that the better right so it's like mean. it wasn't like it wasn't like well you did this wrong it basically was you didn't you don't you didn't you don't deserve this i just want you to know life sucks and it's going to be bad move on learn right but the same guy who taught that lesson proved in his own life that he believed that that wasn't just his Correct. way of like of just like torturing these seals but this guy just an incredible athlete uh, a runner a swimmer a, a bicyclist in a bicycle accident going 25 miles an hour, runs into another bicyclist going 25 miles an hour. The other guy oh, stands up so with just, terrible. with just like just scratches. And, and this instructor, um, paralyzed, paralyzed from the legs down and the waist down. And, you know, obviously his career is over at that point, but our, the, the author, Admiral, um, Admiral McRaven tells us, he goes, not once he became friends with this instructor. Not once did he complain about it. He ended up having a great life. He had a family and he's now he runs operation or um, like he training does a programs and triathlon. Yeah. Yeah. So he still does things like he never took this and said like, this is not fair. I was an athlete and that was taken from me, but he looked at it as, well, this is my life now and now I'm going to make the best of it. And so, you know, we all have a story like that or know somebody who's been through something like that. And the reality is the person you admire is the person who does this, the person who goes through it I, I want to be that person. Like if anything tragic happens in my life and maybe this is pride, but I want to be the person that people look at and say, you know what? I never heard him complain about it. And he took that bad thing that happened and somehow he used it to like help other people. That's what I want to be. And so, you know, is that, even if that's the thing that keeps you through when bad things happen is just, that's what I was talking about with like the good way of looking at how people look at you. Right. Is like for your own sake, I want to be the person that I would be proud to look up to. Agreed. But I, I'll take a couple steps back and I will say, I think there's a time that you need to, I, I really do. Cause if you, if you're, and I'm not discrediting what you're saying, I'm just adding to it because I agree with you, but you know, there comes a point where you're trying to keep up appearances and you're trying to appear tough and you're like, I'm never, you know, this guy over here never complained and never said anything. Well, that's all good, but we're all different and you need that time. I'll never forget this. Uh, I was going through, I was going through a rough time, and uh, I was at church, and uh, <laughs> so you know, in church you usually don't swear, mm. right? And so this this guy who I looked up to, one of my mentors, he goes to me, and I'm not gonna swear. Huh? I mean, we never we keep it pure hustle, but he he this guy highly respected came to me. He goes, "That's some blankety blank that's going on with you." I said is it okay? Like, I mean, we're like at church. Is it all right? He goes, sometimes you got to, sometimes you got to. And it stuck with me. And and, and we talked later. He goes, sometimes you got to be willing to admit when things are just terrible. Mm -hmm. 
right? You gotta, you gotta realize things. You can't. And basically, what he was communicating with me is that you <laughs> I hate using this overused phrase, but you gotta be real about things, mm. right? That yeah, this is terrible, right? And you know what? If you complain or if you say something, hey, that doesn't mean you're any less of a person. No, right? You're human, and things happen. Right. And so if, you know, in your reselling business, things go bad and, and you lose it for a little bit, that's okay. As long as you get back. Yeah. Yeah. Get grieving, back on track. grieving is an important part of life. Um, and that's healthy. And to never do that is probably unhealthy. Um, it's like you said, it's grieve and then figure out a way to move forward as mm -hmm. opposed to continue to wallow in self-pity because um and there's You'll a difference. Never get better. Yep. And there's a difference. And that's what you got to be careful because eventually your self-pity can be your standard and you're in a bad place. So he ends that chapter, right? He says, it is easy to blame your lot in life on some outside force, right? And it is. It really is. To stop trying because you believe fate is against you or whatever you call it, okay? It is easy to think that where you were raised, how your parents treated you, or what school you went to all determines your future. Nothing could be further from the truth. The common people and the great men and women are all defined by how they deal with life's unfairness. And I and I hundred percent agree. And if if you're young and you're listening to this and things have been beautiful, the time's coming. I hate to tell you that. Mm. And and the sooner you can come to that realization and go, and when it first happens, go, you know what? I knew this was going to happen. Not exactly like this, but I'm going to take a breath and, and understand that others before me have gone through this. All it takes is one person to negate the whole thing that no one else has gone through. So no one else can get through this, right? Just one. All you need is one example to cancel that out. And once you, you figure that out, you'll be in a whole better place. But I get it. You know, in your late teens, in your 20s, if you haven't experienced anything crazy, yeah. You could think life is going to be like this, but it, it's going to happen. So not, not that we're doomsday people, but just be real. Yeah. It, trying to be real. And, 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 you know, in the words of McRaven, sometimes no matter how hard you try, no matter how good you are, you still end up as a sugar cookie. <laughs> don't complain. Don't blame it on your misfortune. Stand tall. Look to the future, to the future and drive on. 100%. Good stuff. All right. Chapter five, a uh, failure can make you stronger. If you want to change the world, don't be afraid of the circus. Oh, the circus. The circus. I think we both hate the circus. Oh yeah. And well I, I think you hate it more than I do. But it just because I love I love chaos at a certain point, mm -hmm. but I really don't. Yeah. So what's the circus? Well <laughs> in okay, he says here the circus, which had started as a punishment for failure, was making us stronger, faster, and more confident. So basically it's it's kind of this idea is I don't know, he 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 gives several examples, but when he talks about the circus here, right? He's talking about he's out swimming, right? You're depending on people, right? And what ends up happening is kind of things get out of your control a little bit, right? Yeah. And so the, with the circus in this is uh, it's it's another one of those ways that the SEAL instructors purposely try yeah, that's to I mean. wear yeah. you down, you know? And so if you're ever last, right? So if you're the last one to finish, if your buddy, you and your buddy teamed up together, are the last ones to finish a swim, the last ones to do something, the last ones over an obstacle course, whatever it is, you end up getting your name on the list and you end up at the circus. And the circus is two extra hours of calisthenics. So it's two more hours after everybody else is eating and going and to bed. non-stop harassment. Yeah, so you're just being screamed at, yelled at, 
by the instructors for two more hours doing push-ups, doing sit-ups, doing butterfly click kicks, going and swimming, running, all of this stuff. And the reason you're doing it is because you weren't strong enough to be above the others. So then imagine what you're going to feel the next day. And that's the whole idea. So then the next day, do you think after you've done two extra hours of, of, of calisthenics that nobody else had to do, you're way more sore than anybody else in your squad. There's no way you're going to end up being not last again. So you end up last and it ends up being this thing. It says, um, uh, let's see. Well, yeah, you're looking at where he's like, he actually is doing better as we no, 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 no. So I, I know that part. Um, so he, well, he's okay. Oh, here it okay, is. Okay, so I was, that's exactly what I was looking at. What made the circus so feared by the students was not the additional pain, but also the knowledge that the day after the circus, you'd be exhausted from the extra workout and so fatigued that you would fail to meet the standards again. Another circus would follow, then another, then another. It was a death spiral, a cycle of failure that caused many students so to bad. quit training. And that's the idea, right? But but think about that. That's exactly what it would do for for. A long time, a long period of the training, it's going to make it worse. And I just think about that like as a teacher with some of my students, right? Like I have students who do poorly and they don't do well. And so they get extra work and they haven't turned stuff in. And so they're behind and they're struggling already. And now they've got extra work to do. And so then now they're trying to do this extra work, but then they're not keeping up with their current work. And it almost just becomes this death spiral. And even though it's not extra punishment on them, but we all know what that's like. The further you fall behind, the harder it is to come out of it. And this is almost exaggerated right like they're getting extra punishment for not being the best which makes it harder for them to 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 even perform the next day and so it's like they're being set up for failure really is is what the mentality that you've got to be experiencing but what he's arguing there so that sounds very fatalistic right not that you sound like it but what what he's saying sounds you know over and over again desperate but what he's saying is that the point of that right is what are you going to do with that desperate Right. Because that's what him and his friend Mark, I believe, mm-hmm. in the book did is that they took that death spiral and they stopped the death spiral. Right. They became the strongest swimmers on the team. Right. They actually, I don't know by how long, but they were like the first. They came in first. Yep. They came first in the in the, in their swim exercises. And again, it's one of those things where I don't know. I think this relates to the last chapter. I think it relates to pretty much just an ongoing theme of the last book that we read too with Grant Cardone. I don't. I think that these people are different worlds, but yeah, I, I think there's truths. There's truths that yeah, are being said here. Universal yeah. truths, right? But in the end, right? He says, right? This is what the instructor said. Well done, gentlemen. It looks like all that extra pain and suffering paid off. Yeah. Now, part of me is like, he was like, ha ha ha, I got my goal accomplished with these yeah. guys. Yeah. I made them miserable, and now they're better. But but honestly, the instructors would have been happy for them to quit, right? Because the whole idea is to weed out the weak people. And it takes, I think, an ex- exceptionally strong individual, mentally tough individual to go through because you your body needs rest. So this isn't just like, you know, when you're a kid, you get this idea, like, if I do 10 push-ups, I'm going to be stronger, right? And then I could, I could do 100 push-ups every day, and I'm just going to keep getting stronger. Well, eventually, your body needs time to rest. And so it kind of goes against conventional wisdom that extra work with no rest over and over and over would eventually pay off. But when everybody is slowly being fatigued, and you're being pushed mentally and physically to levels that conditioning yourself that nobody else is doing, then eventually you will be at the lead of the pack and, and come out ahead. And I, I think about this for me personally. Um, I. I'm an English major. I read a lot. I love reading. And it's weird because in school, I was relatively, I was one of the smart kids in some ways, right? Like I did well on tests, but I have a condition called dysgraphia. So 
for me, writing is a struggle. And this Your is, writing looks pretty good, though. This is okay, but this is this is after a lot of practice, and this is still not great. So with dysgraphia, uh, it's not like dyslexia. Dyslexia, you you, you have a trouble reading and decoding while you're reading. Dysgraphia is 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 typically a writing problem. So when I go to write my thoughts, especially when I was a kid, I could not I could not get my thoughts written correctly. They were all over the place. I couldn't write in the lines. Words were misspelled. It, the letters were different sizes. Teachers could never read my writing. And that was frustration because then teachers would come to me and say, I can't read this. You have to redo it. Uh, what are you even saying here? And then so I'd get frustrated and I'd have to sit and I'd have to rewrite it and it would come out messy again. And I just remember I ended up like, one, not really learning spelling because I could never spell words correctly. Then when I finally started being able to use a computer to type things, there was spell check. So I never learned a lot of spelling conventions because my writing was so bad and I was just focused on like, can I at least get it so that the teacher can read what I'm saying because I'm turning in papers over and over and over again. And then grammar, same thing. And then I get to a point where I'm about ready to go into college and I'm in college and what's my major? Well, I love reading. I love talking about literature. I want to become an English teacher. And I've got terrible spelling, terrible grammar, and I can't write. And I'm going to have to write on a board. And I remember like just the fear, the almost de de debilitating fear that I had of like having to write in front of students or, you know, when I'm being interviewed and having to do a lesson and like, I'm going to have to write on a board. I'm gonna have to write on a piece of paper. What if I misspell something? What if I, you know, my, what if this disability that I have ends up causing problems? It's, it's embarrassing. Right. And I literally for months and months and months on my own would sit down with a book and, and just scribe hand copy. I'd read a sentence and I would slowly write it. I would do letters and I would practice just writing an L over and over and over and over. I'd read grammar books. I'd learn spelling. As an adult, as a, as a junior in college, learning things that like kindergartners are learning, right? Mm -hmm. And then now, because I put in all that extra work that nobody else in my college class was doing, I'm able to write if I wanted to and I took the time where it looked like I'm, I'm, I'm a machine printing. Like I almost have flawless writing if I take my time because I learned how to force myself to do it and it took a lot of work. And so I think about that as like the, the, the circus, right? I had to put myself in the circus. I had to force myself to do extra work that was almost punishment just so that I could learn the basics that I didn't learn when I was young. And that might be you with something, right? Like there's something in your life where you might take on extra work. And you're doing extra and you're not getting any extra out of it. I mean, I even think it with the podcast with us, right? Like how long were we doing the podcast where it was like, there really wasn't anybody listening, but we kept going and we kept going. I don't want to remember. Yeah, no, we did. We did. And even now, I mean, we want to grow more, but we got to keep, you know, keep grinding. Yep. And sometimes it's not an immediate payoff, but the circus, if you're willing to go through the pain and you're not afraid of it, can actually benefit you. No, I agree. But, and it's a mindset thing. It's perspective. I mean, that's, 100% what it is. And it's tough. I, I think it's tough when, you know, someone says to you, well, in the end, you'll be thankful. You go, okay, you don't want to hear that, right? I, I hate that. I hate it when people tell me, well, maybe what you're going through, you know, you'll be thankful for this in two years. I'm like, no, I don't want to hear that. But there is truth to that, right? And you'll see it after the fact, right? And so he says that in, on page 51, he says, but if you persevere, if you let those failures teach you and strengthen you, then you'll be prepared to handle life's toughest moments, right? And it's, I, I think it's 100% applicable to reselling in the sense that there are things you can't control. There are some things that were your fault and there's some things that weren't your fault, right? And a lot of people, they close up shop, right? They sell off their store, they're done. You know, this, isn't, this is all a scam. This isn't working out. 
But then there are some that make it, right? But I'm pretty sure every single one of those individuals, and I can't speak for all of them, but pretty much all of them, at, there was a point in time when they thought, you know, I'm not sure this is going to be feasible. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do this, right? And they they decided to either, one, move forward or not move forward, right? And that's the choices you have to make, right? You have to be willing to engage that circus, move through that circus. I like replacing the word with chaos, mm. right? Because circus to me is chaotic and this is chaos. But he says on page 53, I use my previous failure as motivation to outwork, outhustle, and outperform everyone in the platoon. I sometimes felt short of being the best, but I never felt short of giving it my best. And that's the one thing I will encourage everyone with is, you know, ultimately, you know, we always talk about this. You know, I I disagree with the, the statement when people say, I want to be the hardest working person in the room. You'll never get a no. But if you have the mindset that you will be that person, that's the same thing as saying, I never felt short of giving it my best. Right? It's the exact same thing. And so if you're able to apply that, whether it's your business, your personal life, whatever, and I'm not speaking on the authority of Orlando or the authority of Mike, I'm speaking on the authority of the Admiral here. I'm speaking on the authority of books we've already read, of plenty of people that have said this before us, that yes, if you have that mindset, you definitely have everything working in favor for you to make it to that next level. Good. Yeah, I feel like we need to keep moving. There's so much more to share yeah. in this book. Yeah, no, there really is. And that's going to be the lovely part of us having a part two. So, um, you know, honestly, it's crazy to think that that this was... 54 pages. And like I said, each page that we read is probably like maybe a quarter to half of a normal size text on a page. So really, this is like 20 pages of like reading mm -hmm. and all of that truth that we got out of it, all of those incredible stories. And so I highly encourage our, our listeners, if you haven't had a chance to pick up the book, it's really basic, um, uh, you know, easy read. And you know, there's times where I'm reading and it's like, this is super inspiring. And, and I've read stuff that's more intellectually challenging and that might be your cup of tea, but it's such a simple book with so many powerful truths. And if you were just to say, you know what, I'm going to read one of these a week, even one chapter a week, and then just try and apply it to my life and figure out like, how can I use this to make my relationships better, to make my reselling better, to make, you know, whatever your goals are better, even going back to our 10 X, right? Like what are some of those things I want to 10 X? Well, some of these truths speak into that, right? Like don't be afraid. Right here at the end, it says you can't avoid the circus. At some point, we all make the list. Don't be afraid of the circus. And the idea there is specifically with the circus is this is your fault. So the previous one is it's not your fault. Like something bad things happen to you. You might be a sugar cookie and it's not your fault. The circus was you messed up and you deserve this. But don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of making a mistake, owning it and learning from it. Um, I, I even think of one of our previous bosses that we had. Uh, superintendent at our school. And something he said that, you know, stuck out to me was he made a terrible mistake and he got called into, he was in the military. He got called into his boss's office and the boss asked him, you know, why did you do this? And what happened? And he explained and he goes, all right, thanks. You know, you're free to go. And he goes, that's it. I'm not in trouble. And he goes, no, you made a mistake. You, you understand what you did. He goes, now, if you ever do that again, <laughs> we're going to have a big talk and there's going to be some, you know, repercussions. But I think that's the thing is you have to be willing to make a mistake to learn from it and then say, now I'm not going to, I'm going to let this make me stronger so I don't make those mistakes again. Correct. And I, and again, it's, 
if you can figure that out the first go around, things will just get better. Yeah. Right. And sometimes, again, that's the thing with the circus. Now, he does say, though, that you may end up on the list and you don't want to be on the list, which I 100% agree. Yep. But hey, those five principles that we read about today, definitely applicable, very easy to pick up right away. As far as the principle, as far as the application, application yep. that's a whole another thing. Yep. But I can take lifetime to figure out. Yes. But the very first thing of making your bed is definitely doable. Yep. So with that being said, make sure to be real, be relevant, and be reselling. And make your bed. Peace.